welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast. My name is Victoria Smith. I am your host and today we are on episode number 51. Today we are joined by a good friend and mentor of mine, Lisa Reshka. Now Lisa is the owner of a boutique PR and communications firm called Momentum Communications and I had the absolute pleasure of working with Lisa for about five years in one of my recent roles. Now, during that time, Lisa and I pulled off some absolutely incredible events together, but we're, and so we'll talk about some of those during this this call. It'll kind of trickle in here and there, but I am so fascinated by Lisa's career. She started off with a commerce degree and moved into public relations. She's worked agency. She's worked, you know, she's got her own business now. She's done other a variety of other things, traveled to the Dominican Republic, And for those of you who may have read the title of this podcast, she managed a royal visit. So when William and Kate came to Calgary, Alberta in 2013, Lisa was in charge of one of the events that they were that they were attending. And so all of the things that you would think that could go into could possibly go into a royal visit, including like safety and security and private bathrooms and all that kind of stuff. Lisa was in charge of that for this one particular event. Now, I pick her brain on that. I also talked to her about what it was like to start her own business after she had a child, what agency life was like, what international travel was like, what is a career-defining moment for her, or what career-defining moments mean, what that means to us. And uh, she talks about some of the best advice she's ever been given. And I have to say, there's a piece of advice that she was given around 80%. So I'm just going to give you that little teaser there. That has made such a huge impact on me. I couldn't agree more. It's definitely a lesson that I need to learn in my life. But uh, I think you're really going to like this interview. When I was editing it, I just couldn't stop smiling. It was one of my one of my favorite that I've done, to be honest. And maybe that's just the relationship that Lisa and I did. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, I want to let you know that the Girl Tries Life podcast is sponsored by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. So the Alberta Podcast Network is spearheaded by this fantastic woman named Karen Unlin, who has brought together all of these podcasters from across our great province. And if we know anything about If we know anything about Albertans, we know that we are entrepreneurial, that we have vast interests and opinions and spirit, and that is really captured in the network. You've got everything from sports to movies to to politics to education to the careers that people are doing, everything in between. So rather than recommend a specific podcast today, I actually just want to send you to albertapodcastnetwork.com. Because here's the thing, I can make recommendations all day long, but just because you're listening to my podcast doesn't mean that my podcast is the only area of interest that you have in your life. Maybe you absolutely love tech. Maybe you want to be an expat. Maybe you absolutely adore soccer. Maybe Bollywood is your thing. And if any of those are your thing, the Alberta Podcast Network has a podcast for you. So I will link to that in today's show notes, which you can find at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 51 for episode 51. Now, I also want to talk to you really quickly about ATB. Of all the things I could talk to you about ATB today, Given that I'm talking to an entrepreneur and we talk about advice for entrepreneurs, I want to let you know that ATB has an entrepreneur center, which is an incredibly 
beneficial place to go if you're starting out. Yes, they can help you with your banking, but they also offer workshops and networking opportunities, and they can also help get you set up with a mentor. That's one of the biggest things I hear from people new to starting their own business is how do they find a mentor in this field? Because it's not just a case of asking your friend or someone who started a business, finding someone the exact kind of expertise that you need, ATB can help you do that. So again, I will link to that in the show notes, girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 51. So without further ado, let's head over to the interview with Lisa. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for joining me on the podcast. I'm very excited to have you here. Me too. Thank you. So we've known each other for a while now. It's been a, like a while, like seven years? At least seven years. Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. <laughs> time flies. And in that time, I've like had a baby and gotten married and and you have many things. this beautiful office here and thank have you. done many fascinating things <laughs> with your career, which I'm excited to talk about. Me too. So, Okay. Where did the passion for PR and communications come from? Because it's a passion you share with your sibling. It is. <laughs> as well. It is. So when thinking about that, you know, you, it's kind of cliche to go back to childhood. But in fact, that's really where it must come from. My dad was an English teacher and then a vice principal and a superintendent and so on. And he's always been a stickler for grammar. And for the English language, he has a passion for it, he loves it, and was always very cautious and, and cognizant of teaching us how to speak properly, how, you know, we were corrected all the time yeah. when we said something incorrect from a grammatical standpoint. So I think that's really where it came from. And while we may have hated it at the time, it has really stuck. And I hear myself doing it with my kids yeah, all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, like, are you correcting their grammar? Every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that makes me worry about what grammatical mistakes I will make during this interview. And you'll be going in your head. That's not right. Judging, not judging. Judging, not judging. That's <laughs> all good. So were you like big readers and big writers as well? Or Reading has always been a huge passion of mine, a pastime. Yeah. You know, I was always under the covers with the book late at night. Again, something that my youngest is following in my footsteps. Always enjoyed writing as well, uh, creative writing in school, but it wasn't necessarily a hobby. It was just something that I excelled at and kind of took for granted, I think. Yeah. And so that has really stuck with me. My career path itself did not follow, uh, you know, a typical path that would lead to communications. I actually have a commerce degree, which anybody who knows me will have a big laugh about because it's it's really not the degree I should have. Yeah. However. The writing has always been sort of a, a common thread through what I've done. Yeah. I think the real passion for communications came to me in, in a bit of a light bulb moment. I was organizing a conference for a university students group, and one of our advisors was in public relations. When I had a chance to get to know Danny Van Driel, I discovered this world of PR, this agency life where she was managing projects, she was running events, she was writing, she was organizing. And it was like all of these things that I just really enjoyed and was good at. And I thought, that's the career that I want to do. 
And how far were you into your commerce degree at this point? Oh, yeah, I was almost done. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So how did that conversation go with your family? Because I think like a lot of parents are like, but you've just invested this time. Like, how did you have that chat? Absolutely. I guess really I didn't because I I've, was almost at the end of my degree. I finished my degree and I majored in marketing. So I did have the chance to, you know, focus on some of those pieces that I really liked. I was also in the middle of planning a conference and I was going abroad to plan another conference. So that was kind of my in. It was like the wedge that opened up this world to PR. And so at that point, I thought event planning was really going to be my entry point. And it, it coincided well with the commerce degree, you know, a, a business in event planning. There's always so much strength in having that business fundamental behind you. So it wasn't lost, didn't have to have the awkward conversation and really just sort of pursued things from there. Yeah. It's interesting how meeting one person or having one experience can completely change your career path. Like that's just like it just opens your eyes to this world, like you're saying that you didn't know existed or Absolutely. didn't know was a career possibility. Kind yeah. Of and, and I think that's so important. I'm trying to figure out how do we teach kids to open their eyes to the possibilities? Because I had no idea that there was such a thing as public relations. At the time, there were... Um, there was one degree program in Halifax, and I think there was a diploma program here in Calgary. And that was it. But, you know, Halifax never came to Regina, Saskatchewan, to do a career day. So you're right. It's those chance passings by. It's the opportunities that you take when you're in something, like in university, to expand your horizons beyond just the program of study that you're doing. Yeah. So this conference that you planned overseas this was in the Dominican it was how did like how did that opportunity come up because I think a lot of students would be like yes I would like to go to the Dominican Republic to plan a conference absolutely it came about through this students organization called ISEC that I was involved with it's an international organization we had a very strong chapter in Saskatoon and there are chapters around the world I don't even know how many it's been going on for more than 60 years in Canada so in university, at the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon, I was involved. That's where I did my first conference. As that was concluding, I was invited by our national committee at ISEC to do a leadership training development visit, which meant that I would take my expertise from Saskatchewan and go to the Dominican Republic because they had a conference that they were planning and needed some help with. So that was my job, go and help the conference in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Was it harder than you expected? Because like different country, different processes, like did uh, everything, what translated skill wise and what did you have to pick up when you were there? Such a good question. And, and all of those things. Yeah. When I first chose to go to the Dominican, I had these visions of, you know, tropical beaches and, Pina you know, luxury Colada. resorts. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and I, I knew that it would be hard work, uh, but I... I think the surroundings, there's uh, where the disconnect was. I thought that it would just be this, you know, relaxing beach vacation. I lived in Santo Domingo, which is the capital city and has millions and millions of people. And I lived in a slum. So, you know, the dirt roads, partially constructed uh, buildings, rebar sticking out of the top of every building nearby. And the apartment that we stayed in was lovely, but it was really in a depressed neighborhood and, and a shock to my system. Yeah. So that was the first thing. 
the, the students that I worked with were amazing. They were fun, they were energetic, they were smart. They also went to school from seven in the morning until two in the afternoon, and then worked from two in the afternoon until 10 at night. So the interesting piece there was not only are these kids going all out all the time, but there's not a lot of time in there to plan a conference. And as one who didn't have a job, we were sort of at odds as to what to do with ourselves during the day. What I learned about work ethic was really important. I, I learned that I had brought a ton of work ethic with me and that our cultures are so different in how we handle things. I would generalize that Canadians on the whole are very type A. They're <laughs> very aggressive, very like time oriented and okay, let's get this done. You know, perhaps linear in their thinking and, and, uh, and deadline driven. And I certainly follow that path. In the Dominican, however, not so much. The, the pace at which things happen is much more laid back. And while there are deadlines, they're like, ah, it's okay. It'll happen. Don't worry. It'll happen. No te preocupe. And that was very hard for me to adjust to. And it came full circle on the night of our gala opening when it was 12 hours before the event and we still didn't have food coming to the event. Did Imagine. your heart stop? Oh yeah, it was, yeah, completely. <laughs> I was in a full on panic <laughs> and everybody else is like, no te preocupe, it'll happen. I, I couldn't, like I went out, I bought some food. I, you know, we had I don't know, 80 people or something coming to this opening reception. Well, don't you know, as soon as I arrived at this beautiful villa that was actually a DHL operation, there was a deli truck that backed up and unloaded these beautiful trays of cheese and meat and all of this wonderful thing that was more than enough to feed our guests. And it was a wonderful meal. And it really hit home that... Perhaps our way of doing things is not always the right way. And they had faith that it would happen. And sure enough, it did. Has that ever bit them in the butt, though? <laughs> like, I feel like. <laughs> I'm sure it has. <laughs> yeah, but everyone accepts that that's the, the way things work. And I, I think there's a lot of trust behind yeah. the scenes, right? Somebody had obviously been nurturing that relationship. And while they might not have had a signed contract and a delivery time, the conversation was enough that yeah. it was going to happen. My gosh. And it's funny because it's not like we might, like you're saying, deem that not the process or not professional, but in their context, it absolutely is. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> I'm feeling myself sweat. It's like <laughs> not even my event. Yeah. So how old were you when you were doing that? I was 22. You're a baby. I was a baby. Yeah. In a whole new world. I had traveled, but never to that extent and, yeah. and on my own and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it was a fantastic experience. When I finished my visit, I actually didn't think I would ever go back. Yeah. Looking back now, it's probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. Like just to take that leap, be willing to go on my own. I learned Spanish, which has just been a lifetime skill and a love of mine. Yeah. I love languages and just the chance to dive in and, you know, I, I would say I became 
functionally by then Goel at yeah. that point. And that was amazing. Yeah. You know, so definitely one of the best experiences when I was in the middle of it. It was really hard. Yeah. You know, but we can do hard things. Yeah. We're capable of way more than we think we are. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So you get back from the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. Is that when you step into agency world or is that, is there something in between? There's something in between. So I had left university from Saskatoon and went straight to the Dominican. But I knew that when I was coming back, I was coming straight back to Calgary. So I was starting a whole new home, a whole new city, this, you know, next chapter. So when I came to Calgary, I started looking for event management jobs, uh, event planning. So again, with that path, I thought, okay, that's what I really would like to continue with. So I started at a company uh, that did association management and conference planning. And I was there for a few years, three or four years. And then I went into nonprofit. I worked at a nonprofit called Calgary Vocational Services, where I was the first communications person they had ever had. And um, what a great opportunity that was. I had the chance to do media relations and events, and I worked on their annual report. And I developed their first website ever, which if you looked back at it now, it would just be a laugh. Times a change. <laughs> That's right. They had one email address for the whole organization. Oh my gosh, yeah. So I might be dating myself a little there, but working at Calgary Vocational Services was a fantastic experience because I had the chance to put my fingers in so many different pieces of the organizational pie. I was testing new ground because they had never had a communications before a person before, and it was really a, a fantastic experience. I had a wonderful manager who was very supportive and encouraged creativity and, you know, give it a try. And I really thrived in that environment. I was in that organization for about four years. And I knew that I I wanted something a little bit further. And this agency life had always kind of called to me. It seemed very intriguing and dynamic and exciting. And so I worked for probably about six months trying to get my foot in the door before it actually happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started at National Public Relations in 2000. And it started out as a three-week contract. Oh, sorry? (laughs) A three-week contract on a special project, which was really different and fun, actually. But it it needed focused attention for three weeks. And so I came in and I thought, all right, I'm ready for a change. I'm going to do this. And three months, you know, quickly became six. And four years later, (laughs) I, um, I had had a wonderful career at National. What's interesting to me is when I um, did my PR certificate, or when I was in the marketing program at Mount Royal, is that there is this You see a lot of, I'm going to call them young things for (laughs) lack of a better term, that have this idea or impression that that PR and events is just glamorous and you get to go to parties and get to do this, that, and the other. And not that that's not part of it, but I think some of them get a little bit of a, like, awakening to, it's hard work. It's absolutely hard work. Like, what's your advice to young things that are kind of thinking that this is the career path like do you ever kind of parse through what their expectations are or absolutely we you know we often hear oh I'm going to be in PR because I'm a people person well that's excellent and you know many of us are extroverts 
And I think to some extent you have to be because you've got to interact with a lot of people and you've got to be comfortable in groups. However, that's not the nitty gritty of public relations. You are almost always behind the scenes. You are the puppet master, if you will, who's making sure that everything's happening on time, on budget, you're coordinating different vendors and players, whether that's from an event management standpoint or from a media relations standpoint. You know, sure, you might have the opportunity to work side by side with an Olympic athlete. However, behind the scenes, you're on the phone, you're, you know, calling and you're writing and you're expressing all of the great things about that initiative from behind the scenes. Yeah. So I think that's probably a big shocker for a lot of people. On the event management side of things, you're schlepping stuff <laughs> all the time. Yep. How many times have I said, I really wish they had told us about this in PR school? Yeah, there should have been like a fitness component. Like So true. Yeah. You know, whether you're setting up a presentation and you've got to bring the projector and the, the laptop and all of that stuff, or if you're doing a... a um, gala yeah you're setting up the decorations we built a, a carnival prize stand yeah. for you know so those kinds of things people don't often yeah. think about and like how many ticket envelopes have you and I stuffed together with like all the different pieces exactly. that went into cross-checking and and yeah. list management yeah um, name tag fillers right. yeah that's not glamorous stuff no you get to put on the fancy dress yeah. at the actual event but you better hope that the shoes that go with are the most comfortable shoes you've ever worn. So I, where do you go for your comfortable shoes then? Well, I'll take the cool factor out of it completely. And I would say Clark's is my go-to for yeah. a comfortable work shoe. It's, you gotta, like, there's no such thing as, mm -mm. You are Flats on your feet for 16 hours on an event day. You have to be able to walk. And I change my shoes all the time. Yeah. So, you know, during the day it's runners during the event it's the it's the shoes yeah. and then i've got those little slippers that you buy at shoppers for after for the, the event is over <laughs> yeah. yeah i okay i'm just curious at the end of a big event are you just headed straight home are you hitting the mcdonald's drive through <laughs> are you like having a drink what are you how do you celebrate completion but like that transition to home life that is a really good question i feel like i'm getting chocolate Ah, are you? Yeah. I'm probably getting something salty and crunchy. Yeah. Because that's my go-to. I'm probably having, well, maybe not at night. I was going to say I'm probably having a Coke, but that's yeah. probably sustained me through the day. <laughs> I probably need food at that yeah. point. Because, you know, despite the beautiful buffet, you're not getting any of that. No. <laughs> um, or your plate is just cold and not appealing anymore at the right. end. <laughs> yes. I, I do remember eating behind a wall at the Glenbow Museum after a, a big function and everybody had these beautiful plates and I'm trying to wolf something down yeah. with, you know, five minutes to spare. I am also looking for bed as soon as possible. Yeah. 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 So that's my transition. There you go. I, I need a little downtime before, like, otherwise my brain is still ticking, but yeah. One of the things I hear from a lot of people that have worked in agency is that it's such a great way to get a lot of experience, varied experience in a short amount of time, and then many of them go off and do their own thing. Is that typical? Like, or do you know people that are agency for life? Because that feels mm. very draining. It is. And 
while there are a few people who I know who have always done agency, usually the owners or the partners, I think I think agency life is for the young, I have to say. And it kind of hurts me to say that, but the pace is is very fast. Yeah. The hours are long and unpredictable. If you've got a client who needs something tomorrow morning at 6, you're going to be there at midnight finishing it off. And, you know, it's there are so many different clients, all with conflicting demands. You've really got to be able to manage your time, and you've got to be able to keep all those balls in the air. It's exciting from that perspective and challenging. And that's probably the two things that I loved most about agency. I think the challenge that it provided and the exposure to such a, a broad number of industries and sectors, all of the different kinds of businesses that we worked with, all had something interesting and fascinating for me to learn from. The The downside to big agency life is, is that pace. And for me, it wasn't going to fit with my family life. Yeah. So as I went on mat leave, when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do afterwards, I really had a conflict. I was, I felt like two completely, or, or a person completely pulled in two directions. I loved being at home with my son and I loved my work at the agency. As I tried to figure out if I could reconcile the two, I just didn't think I could get it all together to be able to take care of childcare, get downtown by eight o'clock every morning, have this hectic, fascinating life, and get back to pick him up at the end of the day and, and carry on. Because to that point in my career, my day had never ended at five o'clock. Yeah. So that was a real um, decision point in my career. Yeah. So it was that. It was the maternity leave and having a child, your first child that brought you to create momentum communications? It was. Yeah. Absolutely. I guess dr when I was making that decision in those last few months of my mat leave, which incidentally was the best year of my life. Yeah. So much fun. I, I loved every moment of my mat leave. Yeah. Which is maybe why I made it such a hard decision afterwards. Yeah. That critical point in my career was in the last few months of my mat leave when I really had to make the decision, what was I going to do next? We decided as a family that probably going back to agency wasn't my thing. So, okay, what was I going to do next? Because I still love this career, this, this profession that I had. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll just hang my shingle out and maybe I'll just work two days a week and we'll, we'll see if I get any business, you know, cause that was the big concern. Where are you going to get clients from? Yeah. So we'll just try it two days a week. So I put my son in childcare two days a week and business started coming. I had some great projects. I, you know, was introduced to some wonderful clients and I had some other friends in PR who happened to be going on mat leave at yeah. the same time I was coming off. So that was really a blessing because they needed to be able to hand clients off to someone they trusted for a short period of time until they came back. And that was kind of the beginning of this fruitful collaboration model yeah. that I have developed with a lot of other friends and colleagues in PR. Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs whether it's at PR or communications or whatever the business, have that fear that there's not enough for everyone. And yet it sounds like you can actually build those relationships so that it's mutually beneficial for everyone, that there is that 
there is that market provided you have the talent and the skill and the work ethic. I think so. You know, we look at it as the first description that you provided is thinking of things from the perspective of, of scarcity, where there's not enough to go around. I like to look at it from the perspective of abundance, where there is plenty of work out there. And the joy of collaborating with other people is that you're so much stronger than just as an individual. You've got more capacity. You can flex and um, contract as you need to. It works so well. So yeah. companies don't necessarily have to go to the, b the big agencies to know that they've got a lot of bench strength. And I would say, in our case, bench strength with a lot of experience. Yeah. So that first year of business, mm -hmm. I take it it grew from more than two days a week pretty quickly? It did. I don't, I don't remember quite the sequence of events, but two days was not enough very quickly. Yeah. I went to three, stuck to three for a while. Probably when my eldest went into preschool, I began to do four days a week. And then when I had my second son, after probably six months, four days a week was yeah. kind of the thing. I stayed at that for a long time, probably until they were both in school. And then I'm like, okay, well, back to work full time. Yeah. Sounds good. Did you actually take like that six months with your second child, like fully off? Because when huh. you're an entrepreneur, you don't get the benefits from the government the same way. So I hear a lot of like holding baby, mm. typing emails. Like My youngest was in his first meeting when he was three weeks old. He was a, a model participant in the meeting. It was with a client who I'd had for a long time and they were super comfortable with it. Yeah. But he came along to quite a few meetings. Yeah. You know, from, from one side of things, I think he was kind of gypped because he didn't get the same level of attention and, and complete focus as yeah. my first son did. Do the second ones ever though? That is a very good question. Like You'd I, I have to ask my sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So how many years is it now that you've had momentum? I have had momentum for just over 12 years. 12 years. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. What's one of the biggest lessons you've learned, not so much about PR and communications, but running your own business? One of the biggest lessons I've learned about running your own business is that it's hard work that doesn't ever stop. I think like the, the business side of any you know pr any consultancy is really important you've you've got to keep developing business all the time you've you know you've got staffing situations and that sort of thing yeah it doesn't it doesn't ever stop what i find interesting about that and i was thinking about this on the drive here is that i think entrepreneurs have to have that passion and that interest for it because it does seem so many of the entrepreneurs that i talk to especially women have chosen to do it in order to balance their family lives and be able to have meaningful experiences in both. But it does also mean they're at the swimming pool or whatever, and they're answering emails or they're, so like, do you ever turn off or do you ever get to relax? Like, do you have, what do you do for fun? That's a good question. Yes, there are. Uh, of course, there's time to relax. You know, it's usually after the dishes are done and the kids are fed and lunches are made and all of that and, and maybe at nine o'clock you sort of hit the couch and become a zombie. I think a lot of that is personality driven. I don't know if it would make a difference if I was working for somebody else or for myself. I'm driven by the work that I do and 
the environment that I'm in is is just there's always something happening. Yeah. So you know you're maybe you've always got an eye on Twitter, or you're you know reading the newspaper or whatever other form of media. You have to stay up on that. So you know is that part of my job? Yes. Is it part of what I would do anyway? Probably. So maybe I'm just not a person who thrives on downtime. Now that said, send me to the beach and I will disconnect and I will be on my, you know, in my happy place for as long as you'll let me stay there. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. For fun, we've, you know, our boys are nine and 13 right now. So a lot of our fun revolves around their fun, which is hockey. We spend a lot of time at the rink and have, you know, some great circles of friends because of that. Outside of that, I love to be surrounded by people. I, you know, love to have a group of friends over. It doesn't have to be 30 friends, you know, a nice group of six. Just spending time chatting. I love playing games, that sort of thing. Yeah. And experiences, I guess, is sort yeah. of part of it. Yeah. I'm a fan of the locked room. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> a lot of fun. That's awesome. And it's funny. I think, like, there's a lot of conversation of people saying, you, you know, you need to have something outside of work or that kind of thing. And I think... Yes and no. Like, I think if you find your work really fulfilling and you get a lot of those things checked off on your, like, internal bucket list or whatnot, <laughs> then then that works. And it's, like, saying that everyone needs this outside of work is kind of forcing a one-size-fits-all mentality. Kind of. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things about being a consultant is that you've got the flexibility to address or take care of some of those outside things while you're actually at work. Yeah. So, you know, while lots of us may spend 10 hours a day working, in fact, a couple of those might be scheduling family vacations or, you know, taking care of things that you need to for school. So there's the flexibility to do some of that that you wouldn't have in a normal work setting. Yeah. So there's some advantages there. Yeah. So I want to talk a bit about professional development because Mm -hmm. that's, you know, if you think of a traditional structure, usually they've got, you know, the budget per individual built in and it's part of your development plan and all that kind of stuff. What does professional development look like for an entrepreneur? Like for you, is that PR focused or is that business? Professional development for me is mostly PR focused because our world is changing so rapidly. So it might be a webinar about how to adjust to changing newsrooms. I I get a lot of my professional development through our professional association, the Canadian Public Relations Society. I'm also a board member on the local chapter. So for me, that's professional development as well. Um, Just interacting with my peers and and talking through PR issues. I, I really thrive on that. There aren't the budgets for big conferences often. You know, we have an annual conference for CPRS that I would love to go to. Sometimes it's, it's cost prohibitive. So, you know, you find the opportunities that are local. I like to participate in lots of the talks and services, I guess, that are offered locally and online. Yeah. And that's, that's where I go. Yeah. And does mentorship play a role in that at all? Has, has that played a role in your career in general? It has. I've had a, the opportunity to be mentored by some very amazing people women in particular. And, uh, you know, I I would point out Maureen McDonald, who was my VP at National, who's just an all-around great person. And she was tough but understanding. 
would push you just enough to you know be be better but the one piece of advice that she gave me that will stick for with me forever she sat me down and she said Lisa sometimes 80% is enough yeah and I sat back at that moment I'm like no it's not but I realized that sometimes perfection is your enemy yeah and that what you see as a hundred percent or that you see as 80 percent others are seeing as 120 yeah so really trying to balance like when do you say okay that's really good and get it out the door as opposed to churning and churning to try to make it that incremental little bit better yeah it, it, it has stuck with me for years and years. That's playing in my head right now of things that I've got going on at work. And I'm like, 80% is, like you're saying, like my bar and other people's bars are different. And yep. I, c- I could use a little of that advice. Putting that advice into practice. Yes. Yeah. The other piece that uh, others have, have said to me is that done is better than perfect. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it so just sits on the side of your desk for ages. It's not yeah. doing anyone any good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about something that is super exciting to the outside world. The royal visit. Ah, yes, the royal <laughs> visit. So in 2013, you were involved in various events that uh, surrounded the visit of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. Uh, and Kate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How... How did that come about and oh. what was that experience like? Because I knew you at that time, but you like couldn't tell anyone yes. until it was like, oh, by the way, I just did this. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, so true. Um, you have no idea. It Literally, we used the term cone of silence. Yeah. I had a very close friend who was working at the university at the time and she phoned phoned me up one day and said, I have an exciting project, but you can't tell anybody about it, and I need you to be alone when we discuss it. Was <laughs> 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 the prime minister cut? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, and I guess I should caveat that by there were two of us who she called at the same time. And so we had this conversation, and she said, Within the cone of silence, we at the university are hosting Will and Kate on their, I think it was their first visit to Canada. Yeah, they it was had just, just after they got married. That's right. They had just yeah. been married. So this was a big, big deal. Yeah. And the university being chosen in the first place was also a big deal because they did a whole cross-Canada tour. There yeah. were lots of stops and all that sort of thing. She said, we need help with the logistics and with the media relations around this. And the team at the university was not big enough at the time to help, to, to, uh, to, to do it all. So she wanted two trusted colleagues that she could rely on to work in this complete vacuum. We couldn't even tell people at the university that yeah. this was going on. So, uh, of course, we're like, yeah, we're in. This yeah. is great. What a great opportunity. You also have other clients you're doing big projects we for do. at that same yeah. time. Yeah. And and I should say that this call, I think, came in on like May 21st. <gasps> the oh. visit itself was July 7th. Yeah. It was so fast from oh. zero to 60 in like zero seconds. 
So that was the other piece of it. You know, do we have the capacity? How do we juggle things around to accommodate yeah. this? But of course, we're going to do it. Yeah. There was no hesitation of like, it was like, we'll make it work. You don't say no yeah. to a royal visit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so over those You say no to sleep for the next two months. Correct. Yeah. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah. And you go on adrenaline a Ooh. lot. But over those next six weeks or so, we had the opportunity to work with that university team to work with the folks at the Ward of the 21st Century who were giving them a tour through their very advanced medical lab. They do research on um, innovations that should come to fruition in, in the medical field. So just all these great experiences. We worked with Clarence House. We worked with the RCMP. We were, you know, um, making contingency plans for bomb threats. Oh, not part of my everyday. And it all had to happen fast. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was amazing. Probably the most sh shocking thing that happened or, or worrisome thing was that the day of the visit, there was the possibility that they wouldn't come. But why? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you may recall there was some amazing coverage from the little girl with cancer who met the prince and princess at yes. the airport. That visit was supposed to be, you know, a 10-minute thing. And they were clearly engaged with her and, and really moved by that experience. Yeah. It threw everything off schedule. So from the airport, they were going out to Skokie Lodge, I think. And then they were coming back to the university. And then they had a stampede event that night. So I think the stampede event started at 6 o'clock or 6.30. And it couldn't be moved. There was no wiggle room on that. So we were the wiggle room. And we were, like, awaiting last-minute texts and, and decisions as to whether or not we th they would even come. Yeah. So that feeling in your heart of, oh, my God, we put so much work into this. And the money the university would have spent Absolutely. on the staff hours and the, oh. Yeah, and just all the security <laughs> that had been put in. Everybody in that building was aware. They had to clear out for a certain period of time. It was, it was a high-impact event. Yeah. And all of the staff in the ward of the 21st century who were so excited to be part of this. So we just like hoped and prayed that it would come through and it did. So What's that Dominican goodness. expression? Uh, no te preocupe. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Just hope and pray. Don't worry about <laughs> yeah. it. Um, so they did come through. They yeah. had to cut short the um, meet and greet, like the handshaking piece, which was disappointing to yeah. a lot of people, but at least they came. Yeah. And the things that it did for the university were tremendous. Yeah. The exposure to this research, the international platform that just highlighted all of the great things they were doing. It was a huge success, but when my heart finally got going again, that's when it really sank in. Okay, clearly the most critical question. How physically close were you? <laughs> uh, let's see. I was probably about, I don't know, 15 or 20 feet, I would say. It's her hair is beautiful in person. It's pretty beautiful. Right? Yeah. How? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Except I also learned that one should not wear a flowy dress when it is very windy out. Okay. So here's <laughs> the thing, though. There is royal protocol that I don't believe she follows. Older royals, more experienced royals, 
weight their dresses. There are weights sewn into the bottom of skirts to avoid such scenarios. Isn't that interesting? She has that option. Maybe she she didn't get that memo. Yeah. Oh, I think after the first. Anyways, that's an aside. But (laughs) my mom's from the UK, so we've had many a conversation about this. She's got the inside scoop. Yeah. What was the coolest part of doing that? I think the coolest part was actually looking back at it afterwards and realizing all of the all the details that went into this very short visit and realizing what a rare opportunity it was yeah. to be part of a visit like that. It, you know, I think it's a once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. What's interesting about that is you say once in a lifetime, you and I had had this conversation when we were planning for the interview and I said, like, was it a defining moment of your career? And you said, no. (laughs) And I said, so what was a defining moment? And as I arrived here, we were sort of having that conversation. So I'm hoping we can recap here in terms of how do you define a defining career moment? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been puzzling over that. And, you know, part of it is, is the semantics. What, what's a, to me, a career-defining moment is when you sort of say, aha, I've made it. This was the thing that, you know, puts me in the rank with the highest performing professionals, and I've made it. Sort of like when you could go out on a high note and never look back. Yeah. And for that reason, it was, it's hard for me to say that was the moment yeah. because I don't really think I've had that moment yeah. yet. And if I did, my career would probably be done. <laughs> I'd yeah. be like, retirement, see you later. It was certainly a defining moment and a highlight, a yeah. huge highlight in my career. So if you talk about career-defining moments. Like turning points, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I would look at it more like a turning point or a highlight. And, and there's certainly been several of those along the way. Deciding to hang up my own shingle is yeah. a huge turning point that shifted the whole trajectory of my career. Yeah. Deciding to hire staff was another one. The first person I hired and was responsible for, for her, her livelihood, her salary, that was a huge step for me. No pressure, just another <laughs> yeah. person's life. Right? Yeah. It took me so long to make that decision, and I was really glad when I did. But that pressure never goes away. Even if that first staff person does, there's another staff person and another one, and there's turnover and all that. I think that's a real defining moment because many consultants go through their whole career being a a shop of one, which is great. And I think there's a ton of advantages to that. For me, it was a real defining moment to decide to bring in help full time. Yeah. It's interesting what you were saying about a defining moment being um, like, I've made it. The pinnacle. Yeah, because then I kind of think, do you want to actually have that moment until the very, like, I almost feel like I wouldn't want it until the very, very end <laughs> until I'm retiring. Because otherwise, like, you you end up at this high point and what, it's just plateau? Plateau doesn't feel very good. Uh, maybe not. Yeah. yeah. And and so I guess that's why I say I haven't gotten there yet. Maybe yeah. you're always striving for that ultimate achievement. Yeah. You know, and there have certainly been uh, fantastic highlights along the way. Yeah. You know, thinking about the um, Chevron 75th anniversary, we staged a music festival from the ground up. Yeah. That was pretty darn cool. That was pretty amazing. We had food trucks. It was 
And Spirit of the West. And Spirit of the West. Uh, you know, so when I look back at the last 20 some years of my career, there are things that pop up. Definitely the Royal Visit, definitely the, the um, Chevron Music Festival, the 50th anniversary of the University of Calgary. Yeah. Fantastic. Like that was definitely an experience. I was project yeah. managing the whole 50th anniversary weekend yeah. with like rolling events, seven events over three days. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. You know, highlight for sure. Did that define my career? Yeah. Mm, I don't think so. Yeah. But maybe others would say it has. Yeah. It's interesting. Like we were having this conversation before about as well. Like it's important, I think, for every individual to define for themselves. What is success? What is, a, you know, what is a highlight? What is like, it's different for everyone. Mm -hmm. And if you go by one person's definition, you're not going to meet your own expectations. Like yeah. you have to, you have to do the thinking of, about it for yourself so that you're not either disappointed or setting your bar where it should or shouldn't be kind yeah. of thing. I think it also points out the importance of words yeah. and word choice because as a communicator who lives and dies by the word, um, I take definitions very literally, mm -hmm. whereas lots of people wouldn't. Yeah. And so when I'm communicating with other people, I have to realize that and that, you know, you might not interpret what I'm saying in the way that I intend it to be said. Yeah. So, you know, that's a pretty valuable lesson in the communications world. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Written communication for sure. Well, yeah, everything. Yeah. It's nuts. So I want to wrap up with the five questions that I ask all of my interviewees. So what are the things or the projects that get you really fired up in a good way? What gets you churning with excitement? I get really excited about complex projects that need some creativity and planning to come to fruition. So when there's a big picture goal and I've got to bring a bunch of different people together to achieve it, I get really excited about that. Yeah. And you know, if there's a Gantt chart involved, then well, we're off the, off the charts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It strikes me that this job is very much one where you get to use both sides of your brain. You get to be creative, but also analytical and like not a lot of jobs really do give you that marriage of the two. Absolutely. Yeah. And also the chance to see the big picture and create it sometimes, but also be responsible for the minutia. And that's really interesting because mm -hmm. there's, I don't think there's a lot of people who can do both. Yeah. Um, there's some people that are super great at the detail, but can't really see where it's going. Yeah. And there's others, you know, lots of entrepreneurs who have this great big vision of the world, but can't figure out how to implement stuff. Yeah. So I like to think that I can do both. Yeah. And I'm thinking of events in particular. People care about the small details. Mm -hmm. Like how much effort did we go to brand M&Ms? Oh, exactly. <laughs> and people thought it was awesome. They were so, so great. Yeah. 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 So you have always been a reader. Mm -hmm. What's the most inspiring book that you've read in the past few years? That's really interesting. I've been thinking about that and actually going through my, my Kindle to see what, yeah. what the different books are that are there. And I decided that um, Fifty Shades of Grey was probably not the book <laughs> I should say is most inspiring. <laughs> However, I'm going to say Lean In, yeah, um, which might sound trite and, and um, cliche. However, I'm going to say it inspired me for different reasons than you might think. Okay. Because I didn't actually love the book. Okay, because I don't either, so I was oh, a bit good. nervous about this. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> I very much respect the perspective 
that it was written from. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of women who've really related to it. I love the fact that it's inspired lean in circles. Yeah. And all of this, like this movement almost. I think that's amazing. Yeah. However, I have been fortunate enough never to face the issues that Sheryl Sandberg talks about. I have been very fortunate to be respected in every workplace that I've been in. I have worked in surroundings with a lot of women, and, and I think that's also pretty specific to PR. Mm-hmm. However, I inside me, I don't have the issues of self-confidence or I'm not worthy or any of that stuff. I am very confident, perhaps overconfident. And I feel like if I put my best work forward, that that's going to be respected in any environment that I'm in. Mm -hmm. I have lots of clients who are men. I've worked in lots of environments where there are, you know, men who are the decision makers. I have never felt that, you know, pushed down, um, diminished Mm -hmm. kind of aspect that I really felt was um, highlighted in the book. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know this is your favorite question coming up. Do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by? Okay, I'm going to say it. Better late than never. Yeah. <laughs> and I was really trying not to say that, yeah. but it's true. Yeah. I get, you know, in a world where we've got so much to pack into our 24 hours, and moms especially. You know, there are some great dads out there and some very supportive husbands and all of that. When it comes right down to it, mom's on the line. Yeah. At least that's what I feel. So when there's that much going on in our world, I think better late than never. Yeah. That's awesome. We may have already talked about it. I'm not sure. But what is the best life lesson you've learned or advice that you've been given? There's a few things, I think. Life lessons or life advice. I, you know, I think we often go back to our parents because they're the ones that are saying these things to us for most of our lives. My dad has an expression that education is expensive. And he means that not only literally in terms of going to school costs a lot, but more so in the everyday lessons that we learn. So I do remember driving into the garage door at one point as a teenager and my very kind dad told me education is expensive. Now, he could have gone off the deep end, which I might have done in his position. But, you know, his his comment really means to me that you've got to learn from everything. Yeah. And sometimes it costs you money. And sometimes it costs you other stuff. Um, but it's all part of a process. Yeah. You know, so education is expensive. The other one that I really like is... Dance like nobody's watching, you know, and there's other things that go around that. But I think that's so important. Like, just don't care so much about what other people think. Do what makes you happy and what drives you. And if you look like a goofball doing it, good for you. Yeah. I I feel like I'm especially learning that as I become a mom and my kiddo is so young but I know I'm going to embarrass him soon (laughs) like I just know it's coming but it's also like I remember I think my parents getting to that point where it's just like you just get goofy and this is the way you know you're enjoying yourself regardless of how you what other people including your kids think about you yeah exactly yeah and just expressing how you feel about people I think that's really important people need to know that they're loved and cherished and enjoyed yeah you know so 
sometimes that comes out as silly. Yeah, that's great. So I do have one more question for you because okay. I realized I really want to ask it to you. I've, I actually asked this question to my very first interviewee. I think you might know her, Stephanie Pollock. She's a business and leadership coach. Okay. She's, she has worked in PR and yep. that kind of thing as I well. think we're um, connected on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> I was saying in this time when our when you're seeing more contract work and short-term, I guess it is, what kind of advice do you give your kids about how to pick a career? Mm. Because I think so many kids, and like even when I was growing up in school, it's like you get this degree will lead you to this job and that's just not the economy Mm. that we live in anymore and we don't know what economy our kids will live in so what advice do you give your kids for these pivotal years and going to school or not Mm -hmm. the first piece of advice that I give my kids is do your homework yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that honestly is a lesson that's going to take them all through life yeah because if you're not prepared you can't do well yeah And I'm particularly passionate about this because I have a student in grade eight. And this seems to be a year when people are figuring out who they are and testing the boundaries and that sort of thing. So do your homework. Second of all, if you find something that you really are intrigued by or interested in, follow that path. Who knows where it'll lead? And no matter what degree you've got, if it's based on something that you're really curious about, you're always going to have that curiosity. Yeah. So that's going to take you in different places. Yeah. I think you've got to be flexible. I think you've got to be a creative thinker and disciplined. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I can't remember where I heard this recently, but we were saying how often as parents, like, do we focus with our kids on the subject that they're not doing well in? Because you want to get that up, right? Like, I mean, in theory, you want to mm-hmm. improve the poor math scores or the whatever, but then sometimes it's to the detriment of the thing that they're really good at, that we spend more time trying to get one up when we could also be spending energy really fueling that passion. That is so true. And I can't remember where I heard that, but it is not my original thought. <laughs> well, there's, and, and there's something going around on Facebook that talks about, you know, I think it's a letter to parents or something. And in preparation for an exam, you know, as you help prepare your child for this exam, remember that there's one student in this class who's going to be a famous artist. There's one who's going to be a writer. There's one who's going to, um, you know, be an astronaut. Yeah. And the point is that not everybody's the same. So you're right, like focusing on bringing up your social studies score might not be as important as saying, wow, you've got a 95 in English. That is fantastic. So I'm really going to take that away because I, c- I think we have the natural tendency to say, bring all those marks up. Yeah. And really the focus might need to be different. Yeah. Hmm, thanks for that. There you go. It just... Don't know where I heard it. I like it. And my final question, Lisa, is what does it mean to you to live your best life? I think living your best life means pursuing something that you're passionate about and that you truly enjoy doing. Life is way too short to do something that you hate or regret or or agonize over every day. There's so much out there and so many opportunities that you've really got to pursue what you love doing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Victoria. I've enjoyed it. 